2018 and welcome to episode 122 of We the Gamer Cast. It's the official podcast of WeTheNerdy.com and it comes to you on iTunes, Google Play, and mother loving YouTube every Monday. Thank you for subscribing, hitting the thumbs up. If you're watching the video now, it would be a great time to hit the thumbs up and thank you for rating us on iTunes and sharing and welcome back. Whoo! It's been a while since I did this in the middle of the day. Lincoln is getting ready to go to his grandparents' house. I'm going to my parents' house in a little bit. So I'm going to record a little little segment. Then I'm wash up. I got I've been growing this beard. You can see this is the um this is the sadness over the holidays beard. I think that's what that is. This is laziness. I am about to go back to work and maybe even wear different clothes on Tuesday than I was on on Monday or Wednesday and, and etc. I think I've gone through maybe like four shirts in the last two weeks, and that's. It's been awesome. It's been really great. I have been catching up on so many games, but I'm getting way ahead of myself. If you guys are new, here's the deal. Every week, I have Sweet Hangs with a Stranger from the Internet, and we talk about video games. And if you want to be part of the show, if you want to be on it, tweet at me, at Sean Capri, Sean Lake Connor Capri, like the pants. And it's coming to you on YouTube, by the way, if you forgot or if you're new, uh, because of amazing people at Patreon.com slash Make Us Better. We keep making this show better because of you, and it's all thanks to everybody there, especially our executive producers, including our platinum executive producer, Corey Hex, gold executive producer, Sheldon Benedict, and all of our gentlemen executive producers, Nick Militia from Next Level Games, James Johnson, Dr. Doom, Jesse Armstrong, Glocko Schaefer, David Ray, Mike Drummy, Brenda Myers, Aaron Doherty, and Martini Jean, our newest patron, is a gentleman executive producer. Even if this is the only show where you're called that, that's okay. I, I, it's just between me and you guys. Thank you guys so much for all of your support. 2017 was one for the books and 2018. I am, I would like to say that I'm re-energized. That's what you're supposed to say. I think I am re-energizing. I think, um, I mentioned on the last show before Christmas, I went to, uh, I went to see a therapist for the first time. I had a really, really rough couple of days um, just coming off of work, getting into, getting into the holidays and trying to find my place, I guess, here. And really just like at home, I mean, like trying to find sort of like a full time, what is my, what is my role when I'm at home? And I, and of course I'm here on the weekends, but I don't know. I just, I was in a, none, none of it really makes too, I'm still trying to like kind of workshop, obviously, uh, through what happened. Why do I get into some of these moves? But it's just, I don't get too much into it, but like, to be honest with you guys, like, I was just, I just didn't have energy. I just didn't have anything in me. And I guess the, one of the ways that I was, I was describing it actually was I felt like I was being a draw, like a, like a, like a negative energy where I was sucking life out of the rooms that I was in instead of being the positive light and instead of being the positive, uh, the positive energy. And I'm trying to flip that switch. I, I don't want to be a draw. I don't necessarily need to be the center of attention. But I don't want to be, I don't want like people to feel sorry. I don't want to bring the mood down. I want to be able to, at the very least, um, make no difference in whatever is happening. In the, in the best case scenario, um, add a little positivity. And I felt like I wasn't doing either. I think that's one way to describe it. So New Year's resolutions, Capri's, uh, that's an awful pun. Obviously, get in better shape. I ate like crap over the last couple of weeks. That also doesn't help, by the way. 
um, just be a little bit organized. You know, the typical kind of like 2018, but, but I think it all stems from just going to actually work on myself, not just say that I'm working on myself. So that means some, some recurring, some recurring therapy sessions, man. That's what I'm, I always kind of like chalk, like chalk this up to that, but this year I have to make it, make time for it, make it a priority. And I think that I can, you know, I've, I've stopped playing soccer. I've played, I've stopped a couple of things and I think I, I can make it work. So I want to, you guys are on this ride with me. If you're still here, thank you so much. If this sort of like terrifies you, or if this isn't really what you're looking for in a podcast, I totally understand. That's kind of why I've avoided kind of talking about it for a long time. Cause it's, it's not for everybody, but that's where we are in, uh, here we, in January 2018. It's going to be a ride on the funner side. I, <laughs> this maybe just add to my stress. I want to play more games. I want to, I want, I don't know. What are, you, what are your guys' resolutions? I, I just bought a whole bunch of games on these all these sales, more than I have time for, uh, but I want to get to as many as I can, and maybe I just need I need to solidify sort of an approach on them. Maybe maybe I don't necessarily need to beat all of them. Uh, I'm playing Wolfenstein 2 right now, and, and I'm really liking it. I appreciate everything that's there. I just not like, it's not like in it. I'm not in it. I'm playing it to kind of like get to the end and I just sort of looked up how far I am which sometimes is a mistake when you look at a a walkthrough and then you see spoilers like just in the chapter titles and stuff like that which didn't necessarily happen here but I was always I'm always worried about that so Wolfenstein is really great cutscenes are amazing the the gunplay is good but I don't know there's just a lot of a lot else so I might move on to I don't know man maybe Maybe the evil within too. I, I bought the mummy demaster thanks to a recommendation from my good friend Ryan Turford from the game moves podcast. And I need to talk to him about that because it's, I can't decide if it's the best or the worst game I've ever played, or at least the, the best or the worst, uh, Metroid knockoff. Like it is so, it, it's just, it has nothing really to do with the movie, the mummy, but it's a good time. It, you know, the one thing that it does is it makes me feel good about myself in terms of, oh, I can actually play this, this Metroid ripoff. Because whenever I think Metroid, I think super difficult. This isn't too bad. So honestly, guys, like I've got a list of probably like 14 games I've been firing into. That's way too much for today. I just want to let you know that I'm doing okay. Um, and that I will continue to be working on feeling okay. I need to be. I need to be better in that sense. So who knows where 2018 will, will, will take me. I'm not sure, but I do know that I will be, I'll be seeing somebody about it on a regular basis. What, how often that depends on insurance. <laughs> so we will, so we will see. Uh, I'm excited. If you're on YouTube, you'll notice maybe a little crispness. Maybe you can see a new hue in the pinkness in my cheeks because I get a little excited and I get a little hot in this small room with a computer that's firing all this heat out the top of it. Um, new webcam for Christmas. And that is amazing. I think it looks great. So this show continues to get better. And, um, what, you know what, guys, we're going to, we're going to cut this right here. We're going to get into the show. My guest today is Chris Johnston, just to continue on the, the Johnsons and Johnstons that we've had over the last little bit. We're going to continue it on into 2018. And if you know anybody with the last name Johnson or Johnston, let's keep it up, man. Cause apparently you guys all like anime. So we're going to get into that with Chris in a bit. Um, I am so appreciative that that Chris took some time and talked to my, my awkward ass today. <laughs> it's been a while, man, since I, since I actually did this. It's actually been a very long time since I talked to somebody I've never actually spoken to before. Chris and I had a couple of brief exchanges on Twitter, but other than that, 
Like this is, this is the essence of We the Gamer Cast. I, like we really never talked to each other at all. We are truly strangers on the internet and we got to know one another a little bit. I wanted to ask him about his days at EGM and Adult Swim right now and Player One Podcast. Remember, you can follow Chris on Twitter. He's at SuperPack and I'm so embarrassed that I didn't understand where that was from, but I'm not going to mention it. Maybe you don't know where it is and maybe you can be embarrassed when he explains it and then you can let me know. Um, you can also follow Adult Swim Games at Adult Swim games his podcast at p1 podcast let's get into it let's talk to chris johnston father high five high five (laughs) (laughs) my wife uh takes care of him like an absolute all-star i just i'm just here i just i'm supposed to collect things apparently on on this shelf. And, hey, I'm and right there it. with you, dude. I, I'm kind of enjoying the uh, the backdrops that, that we both have. Yeah. What do you got back there? I, I see some PS2. Some mm. I've never really had a chance oh, to yeah. really oh, everything hear. really. Uh, my Xbox stuffs back there. Xbox 360. A lot of Japanese PS2 stuff. Um, How did you know Xbox. about that? Because like Japanese PS2, like that's in a pre eBay era. I'm thinking. Mm, yeah, all that was pre eBay. Yeah, yeah, like how do you, so is that garage sale stuff? Like, are you are you flying back and forth to Japan in those days? <laughs> in those days, yeah, I was yeah. actually. So a lot of those I bought at game stores in Japan, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, some of them I haven't even opened yet. I do have a Japanese PS2 that still works. So one of these days I should open some of those games and uh, and try them. But how do you go about <laughs> even doing that? Like I've heard this story a hundred times over of Andrew Goldfarb from IGN playing Persona Five in Japanese mm-hmm. first. He platinumed it in Japanese. Like are 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 you able? That just seems like pure magic to me. I don't understand. I don't understand it. Like how useful is this Japanese PS2 to you? Uh, well, now, not very, but back in the day, <laughs> it was pretty useful. Yeah. Uh, I, I took a little bit of Japanese um, oh, at nice. the local college in uh, Chicago, uh, where I lived, and um, enough where I can kind of, where I, 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 you can, like, throw up a Japanese menu of things, and I can tell which thing to click on and which thing not to click on. No way. Uh but that's about it. That's that's pretty much the extent of my Japanese knowledge at this point. I think, I mean, this might be crude. I think white people who speak Japanese is like the craziest thing. Like when I see Bill Trenton <laughs> just like flipping on, I'm like, what is happening? How is that possible? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't, it. I can't do it. I took, I took uh, two years probably in this yeah. at this community college, and uh, I've lost pretty much all of it except for. Um, some katakana because that's the the alphabet they use to do uh, foreign words. Mm. So a lot of video game titles are in katakana, and then uh, I know a little bit of I know the hiragana alphabet and can kind of work my way through some words, but not enough to play Persona Five in Japanese. That's well, for- he didn't know any <laughs> of it. I feel like you're probably you got to be a little further along than than Andrew Goldfar. But I don't know if it's something that like who has time for that really? Like who has? Like, I do. I'll make this impossible and just do this in a totally, totally different language. Yeah, but I knew people back in the day who would import games from Japan without, like, a fac or without Twitter's help or anything like that work right. through these games, and I, especially RPGs, and I I just uh, can't imagine doing that. What's the motivate? Is it just a point of pride? Or, like, is it a badge of honor to say, 
I played this in jet. Like, why do people like what enjoyment? I'm, I feel like I'm missing something. <laughs> <laughs> well, for some people, I think it's just they are anticipating that next game so much, uh, mm. especially if it's like a Final Fantasy or like a, a Persona. Yeah. And they need to play it right away. They can't uh, deal with the amount of lag that it takes to get it out in the U.S., mm-hmm. even though now, I mean, there's such a short lag time with uh, Japanese releases. Back then, it was, you know, half a year or more that you'd have to wait that's the thing that i've sort of forgotten was that that was just part of the way things were back back when we were growing up was there's this huge delay but now it's kind of like worldwide releases releases have become a little bit more common so you just don't even think of like why would you want to get get the jump on on anything so are you like more partial to the more the more japanese century or are you more like western style of games i know nintendo dominated your your top 10 list that you guys did. did on on player one podcast <laughs> which i love by the way i have to say uh, i've just discovered the show but i love that you guys play obviously i'm looking right behind you play everything and mm-hmm. to have nintendo still dominate is is so refreshing i think that mm. usually you get that with like nintendo centric shows but to have where you guys are playing everything or as much as you can and still have nintendo kind of at the top is i think very 1995 yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> I mean, and that's not a slate. Uh, it's kind of gone in waves, though. Yeah. Um, you know, Player One has been going for eleven years. Two thousand six was your first episode. Yeah, yeah, two thousand six. Was like podcasting <laughs> even a thing? Like, were you guys like just exchanging letters? Is that kind of what was happening? It, it was a thing. It was a thing. There you guys was were Major Nelson. Edge. And one up yours, and uh, a couple others. Uh, the cheap ass gamer podcast was going on back then, and mm-hmm. we kind of thought, oh, you know, we could do that. This will be fun. And uh, none of us lived. We we all used to work together, all of the hosts on the show, mm-hmm. and uh, we thought, hey, it'd be, still be fun to hop on Skype every week and uh, catch up with each other and what we've been playing, and record it and release it as a podcast because uh, you know one up yours was very popular, and we thought, hey, we could do this. Mm-hmm. Could totally do a podcast and then somehow i didn't think it was gonna get past episode 10 mm-hmm. we've done uh, 582 of them That's by this ins- point and you guys still list it off at the start of every show we're at episode and like does that kind of get like why are we still why are we, this, is, this is a <laughs> stupid number like this is just insane yeah but also yeah, the point certainly. of pride yeah as we've gotten up there as you get to like the the milestone episodes you kind of say, well, how? Do, why have? Why has this gone on this long? <laughs> like, you're at episode 492. You're like, are we really going to do 500? Yeah. And then now we're on 582, looking looking down the barrel of 600, and it's like, uh, yeah, I guess we're doing 600, and we've only missed like one or two weeks in that time. In so. the 11 years. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's insane. So, like, when you guys first started out, but, like, the, I guess there was enough of it. Like, for now, everybody and their dog has a podcast. Hi. Mm-hmm. We're right here. Um, <laughs> and it's because we've seen podcasts come before for us. But I'm guessing, there, I'm sensing from you that in 2006, there was still enough action going on that, like, it sparked the idea? Or was it was it was it as simple as that or was there, like, more to wanting? Like, were you – did you have anything in mind, I guess, is my question, of – where you wanted to take it or what did you want to do with it or anything like that? No, or 
You just friends Nothing being like friends. That. No plan, no plan whatsoever. Yeah, we thought we could uh, do a show, um, you know, something that we would want to listen to, and just kind of it's a good start. You know, friends talking about video games, mm-hmm. right? And I think that any successful podcast or any fun podcast is has that chemistry, right? It just it sounds like friends sitting around talking about video games. Mm-hmm. So um, friends who just happened really... to work at EGM back in the day. You yeah, know, just like anybody yeah. else. Just exactly. <laughs> guys, That's right. Guys are publishing <laughs> games for for over well, ten years. Like it's the same. Exactly. You know, I I think this is the case with a lot of magazines and outlets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you sit there and you talk. You have conversations about video games that aren't reflected in the pages of the magazine, or mm. um, that people might be interested in. I mean, I listen to the Game Informer show, and they do the same thing. They all work together. And they still somehow lay down an hour and a half show every week talking about games. I'm sure they've had very similar conversations to the ones that they're having on the show right. uh, just around the office. right? right. Um, so that was part of it, and especially since we didn't live anywhere near each other at that time. And you never uh, and did? We like, all... What about when you worked for the magazine? Like, Were you still disparate? Oh, no. When we worked for the magazine, we were all living in the same place okay. uh, in Chicago and then San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, I was roommates with Phil, actually, who's on the show as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. How was and, that? Uh, <laughs> it was fun. You yeah. know, it's like any sort of 20-something gaming roommate situation. <laughs> like, uh, we play a lot of a lot of stuff for review um, mm-hmm. and critique each other's gaming abilities of course uh it was it was fun for sure did you have to like capture any because like getting screenshots or gameplay or anything like that was so different back then how like were you responsible for any of that kind of stuff as you were you know playing in this in this door so how did you do it like was it because way way back i think you'd you'd have like this dark room and a camera set up next like literally taking a photo of of the tv like if you go far is that is that how you did it as well that is not how we did it, no. Although I will say, uh, before I worked at EGM, I went to the Consumer Electronics Show and saw EGM editors with a big, like, dark cone, basically, that they would put over the televisions at CES right. and take still photographs of the game. Oh, very my weird. gosh. Can you imagine? Imagine the slowdown of the whole, like, E3. It's like, hang on a second. I need to capture some stuff for my blog. And you just have, yeah. like, it would be, I'm imagining the similar, like, contraption that we had for GoldenEye 64. We we put up, like, this cardboard box so that you couldn't see. Exactly. And the best exactly. thing about the internet now is that you discover you are not that unique. Like, we thought we had come up with this, like, first-in-the-world invention. And now mm-hmm. I'm talking, every, everybody did that. Everybody yeah. had the same problem. They were all they were all cheating. Yeah. Well, that. now it's as easy as like getting a capture box and plugging the HDMI output into it, and you can take you can take capture footage at an event, no problem. Right. But obviously, back then it was uh, a different issue. But we had custom capture cards in our Macs, and mm. it was a Photoshop extension where you opened up the little window and you could press the S key on your keyboard and take a screenshot. Um, you could also take a movie, but it would take it at like four frames a second so you were not guaranteed to get the exact (laughs) shot that you wanted Mm -hmm. and my favorite part about this was uh there's a game kirby's tilt and tumble on the gbc i think um what in the world (laughs) we had this device you remember the tilt games for the game boy where you like you would uh it had a sensor in it and it was a kirby game where he was a little ball and just rolling around the stage i don't remember that at all that's amazing i need to find this 
It was a great game. Anyway, so somebody out there is going to remember that. I was reviewing it or doing a preview, but anyway, to capture screens from it, we had this contraption uh, called a Wide Boy uh, for the N64 that basically it was like a cartridge. It was like the Super Game Boy, Mm -hmm. and you put your cartridge in, or you put a Game Boy Color cartridge in there, and you could play it on a TV. But to do the tilt thing, what you had to do, because it expected that it was going to be in a Game Boy, and you were going to be looking at it this way, right? Um, Or looking at it a certain way. You had to basically take the N64, because the cartridge was plugged into that. You had to hold it in your hands, upside down. No way. And then with a pinky finger, while you're playing, try to hit the S key to take a screenshot at the right time. It of was the course. most difficult thing. <laughs> that's all because it's built into the cartridge. Like of course that's why it's upside oh. down and backwards or whatever. And, oh, that is mm-hmm. so they've been up to this for a little while. Oh yeah. Yeah. Nintendo's been doing motion control for a long time. Holy crap. <laughs> that made it very difficult to take screens off of that game. I but guess. that's uh, <laughs> Yeah. Or occasionally we would uh get somebody else who was in the office in the cube next to us or i would get greg who was in the mm-hmm. cube next to me um and have him hit the s key for me like mm-hmm. when he thought a good screenshot was coming up so that i could focus on playing because uh, it had a preview window but when you hit s it would like pause the screen a little bit so you couldn't like play a fast action game mm-hmm. that way you had to have it where you could look at the tv and also press s it was very very difficult to do so how was it working so like Growing up in a, well, I guess in your formative years in twenties and working at, at EGM, how was this different for you than maybe even like growing up? Like for, for me, I had my neighbor, everybody knows my neighbor, Matt and I, we, we had like, apparently it's called a friendship gate between our, our backyards. Like there was okay. literally like a gate that, that, um, we could pass through our backyards. You didn't have to go outside. We could just like our backyards are basically connected. Oh, and growing handy. up, I didn't know that that was unique either. Or I, I thought that that's what everybody's backyard was like. And, um, yeah, like I would never now having my own house, like there's no way I'm splitting my fence and, and having the, it go to the neighbor's house. So, but I had basically every game that I can ever imagine playing over there. And I had a friend who I could always play games with. So I'm always curious of like, mm. you know, was this in stark contrast to your childhood, just having people that you could geek out every single day and just obsess over the stuff that you want to obsess over? Or was it a little different kind of growing up? You mean working at the magazine versus? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, like, or was this sort of like, I grew up with a whole bunch of friends, and then in my professional life, I'm with friends who also like games. Like, have you always been surrounded by people who who love games, or was this kind of like a nice escape in a way? No, pretty much. I've always been surrounded by people who liked video games. Yeah, Um, yeah. My neighbors growing up played video games, went over to their house and played Ducktales on the NES. Oh yeah, man. And uh, when Super Mario Brothers two came out. Um, you know, there was a cartridge shortage at that time, and uh, my friend's parents had driven them to the toy store before we were able to get there, and they bought us a copy of the game because it was about to uh, be sold out. So no they, way! Yeah, and that was super awesome. Like, I I still uh, thank them for that to this day because uh, that was a great game back in the day. That's and that was so a, nice! Yeah, that's super nice, right? <laughs> <laughs> And those NES games were like forty bucks back in the day. Like mm-hmm. it's not not cheap, but uh, my parents paid them back, of course. But yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I grew up with a lot of people who loved video games, and I started writing about video games when I was fourteen, mm-hmm. and I got hired at EGM when I was seventeen. So you're talking about childhood. EGM kind of was my that childhood. was it. Holy cow! I didn't realize that. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, like, what are you writing at 14? Like, what what point does that, in terms of, like, what games are you writing about at 14? And then where are you putting that? Well, uh, there was a magazine called Video Games and Computer Entertainment back in the 90s. What did they uh, write about? They did computer games video, and video games, games and, yeah. you know. <laughs> I just love how, like, that's such a, that's like the nerdiest title. Like, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We just want to let you know exactly what is in this magazine. I love it. Perfect title. That's right. That's right. They were mostly about toys and Mortal Kombat, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, they did an article about fan-made magazines or fanzines, uh, which is, a, you know, a thing in the music scene for a long time. And mm-hmm. this uh, column in there talked about fanzines that were about video games and that anybody could write them. So uh, hmm. that's how I started. I started a fanzine. And... Uh, started sending it to um, that magazine. Plus, I would send copies to EGM because e- for me, EGM was local. I was like one suburb over from where the EGM offices so were. So you mentioned so that Chicago was and San Francisco. So were you you're growing up in, around Chicago? Is that what that was? I grew up in Chicago. That's right. Okay. Yeah. I only know yeah. of like one suburb of Chicago, and it's because of Wayne's World. So I know of Aurora. And that's it. Right, I was I was in Naperville, Illinois, which is one away from Aurora. Just missed it. <laughs> Dang it! I should have been wearing my my Blackhawks jersey. All right, or Aurora, that, I was devastated to learn that the Wayne's World in uh, the movie is not actually filmed in Aurora, Illinois. None of it was filmed there. It's probably Vancouver. So, Everything seems probably. to be filmed in Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, but yeah, uh, where was so I? A, fan, a fanzine. This is such, fanzine. A, such an interesting like I because. To me, magazines did seem like this elite, like nobody could do it. You had to be part of this, like publishing arm and be this part of this machine. But for them to extend, like it's the age of the internet, really, where everybody has all the tools they could ever need to make whatever they want. And it, and it's surprising for me to hear that back in the day of, of magazines, that that invitation was, was extended. And I'm gathering it was just, a, there's still a need for content creators then as maybe not so much now but maybe there there was they were looking for more people to contribute to the ever-growing i mean magazines are going to be around forever and we got to fill all these pages so we need people to learn how to become part of this industry that's possible i mean uh, a lot of people who are still in it got their start in fanzines as well like chris mm-hmm. kohler mm-hmm. um i've known him for like 25 years since he How's was also a fanzine editor and we talked on the phone occasionally and traded mm-hmm. uh zines and you know that it was a small thing, but a lot of people. Um, it was a tight knit group, and kind of like uh, you know websites or fan sites or things now. Like except now it's on a much larger scale, and a lot more people doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was how I kind of got my feet wet in writing about games, and it was just reviewing games and writing opinion articles about games. Like mm-hmm. it was. Do you have any uh, of it still? I do, and it's embarrassing. I was gonna. It'd be incredible <laughs> to just have you guys read some of the old, like, and that I think that goes for any writing. I think it's always cringy to go back, but especially you know, and I think even not so much that it was a while ago, but more that I think that the the language and vocabulary and vernacular that we use now to describe and talk about games has matured totally. so much. Like it almost kind of makes you cringe a little bit when somebody says the graphics are great. But like that was what we used to lead every conversation with. Like the graphics are amazing. And then I don't really know what else to talk about here. But imagine this, like imagine going back and reading something that you wrote when you were 14 or 15. Like Mm -hmm. that's what it's like. That's what it, It so what you wrote at 14, 15 video games or whatever. Like it's, uh, it's a different 
a different style. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think even like sometimes IGN goes back to they pull up old uh, old pages and like stuff that was published there is like that's what we that's what we cared about. I mean, like it's not mm-hmm. necessarily a knock even on the writer. It's just that's what that's what we expected. So like the the, the writing was what uh, delivered what the reader was sort of expecting in, in a sort of strange backwards kind of way. Yeah, I think that's true. And back then, you know, video game magazines were all about how many megs the cartridge was. Oh, and yeah. How many layers of parallax scrolling do you have? And well, we always things have like numbers that to that we be don't care about over. now. Well, now we have we have we have so many P's in frames per seconds and well, teraflops to worry about, or yeah. hours of battery life apparently on on the which actually that. turned out to be not a problem at all. Like I remember about this time last year when we were learning about some of the specs of the Switch and just freaking out over every single one of them. And oh, yeah. None, and none of it mattered. What do you mean, four to five hours of battery life? That's oh, nothing. Oh, my God. My, my Vita does at least six hours. Like, yeah. And it probably... I mean, even my DualShock 4, <laughs> I feel like, doesn't really... My the controller doesn't necessarily outlast the, the Switch. Um, mm. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the timeline writing for a magazine a little bit. So, obviously, now we can... Like, this is going up tomorrow. So pretty, pretty instantaneous, but you needed to have access to games a little earlier, like the whole timeline of production adjusts when you're in magazines, but then for it to drop at a time that is relevant for the reader, like how did all of that work? Did you just have earlier builds of games or like, talk to me a little bit about the, the PR surrounding games when you, when you need three months to, uh, when you have a three month lag between hitting print and having a drop in somebody's mailbox. Yeah, I think it was, you know, it was a different time where not only did it take, you know, a month or at least a couple of weeks for a magazine to get printed and distributed, mm-hmm. but it also took time to have a cartridge pressed or uh, CDs pressed as well. So mm-hmm. we often would get um, review copies of games several months early, uh, and we tried to time our review for when the uh, when the game was actually going to hit shelves mm-hmm. so that... You'd be reading a, a game that came out in September. Um, you'd be reading about it in the October issue of a magazine because the way that magazines work, they want like everything to be or the date on the cover is like a month of a month ahead of when it's really on. Stands. Right, that always messed me up. Yeah, and in part it's so that bookstores don't throw you away on the last day of the month. They keep you on the shelves. I never even thought of that. Of course, yeah, that yeah. makes so much sense. Yeah, which I didn't understand either until I got into it. It's like, why are we working on this issue when, yeah, it's mm-hmm. a weird future thing. But uh, so, yeah, we would get um, <laughs> builds of, of games that were either previewable or reviewable. Mm-hmm. And sometimes even the review copies weren't completely 100 percent done. They mm-hmm. were just at a state where uh, they felt you, know, you could write about it and uh, attach a score to it. So I imagine now it's a lot different where the lead time is a matter of weeks Mm-hmm. you still get games that are broken you do like what was your favorite kind of memory from from, from writing for i guess like even just walk me through walking in for the first day where you go like <laughs> w- like were you a fan before of egm like was this sort of like i can't believe this is like my dream job kind of thing or was this just part of the way things were supposed to go for chris johnston <laughs> no this is not part of the way things were supposed to go <laughs> Um, yeah, walking to the office for the first time, it was great because I had been reading the magazine for years yeah. at that point and sort of knew everybody's persona in the magazine. Right. Or at so least you see I the bylines. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, it was, it, it felt fine. I was walking in kind of, 
as a as an intern really mm-hmm. uh and I didn't even have my own computer for the first uh couple months that I worked there I was working off of other people's machines awesome and we had like an I had an optical disc that was mine basically and I could work on other people's computers like a when they were out to lunch yeah that is amazing just to, the fact of using like a disc as like you know, like almost like a USB drive would be now, or I guess even a floppy disk before. Like it always seemed very yep. advanced if you had a rewritable. Like, oh, you got to format that thing properly. You got to close up that disk properly at the end of it, or otherwise you can't when you're done burning. That oh yeah, and they would get, uh, they would oftentimes die on you, yeah, and get corrupted, and then you're all the work that you you did was gone so uh, that's why i'm surprised to hear you say that just because in my experience with it like they were so unreliable and they cost a fortune like you like they were worth four or five because it's almost like rechargeable batteries i guess in that sense yeah exactly they they would value them a little a little higher these weren't even zip disks or jazz disks these these were like five five and a quarter uh disks they were like i don't even know It it was Maybe 500 megabytes is what mm-hmm. they stored. Like it was, uh, it was, it was bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm get, I'm gathering that like you were very similar back then. Like you're you're very mm-hmm. approachable, very very nice. I, I don't get the sense that you walked in there like you were gonna wreck shop and show them how no. it's done. Like what was no <laughs> <laughs> was that was Although... that a prevalent sort of personality in in the games writing industry or is it as that maybe become more of a thing? Or were these just geeks writing about games? It was just geeks writing about games. I think, yeah. uh, you know, back then the prerequisite was that you were good at video games, not necessarily a good writer. Oh, interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you could take screenshots of things or, uh, you know, master fighting games, that was it was more about that than mm-hmm. if you were good at writing. And it wasn't like they were going out and using like a nationwide talent pool or anything like that. All the, all the people I worked with were people who grew up in the Chicago suburbs mm-hmm. and played video games at local arcades. And, um, you know, that was, that was what it is. So Every, what almost everybody at? was like hired, uh, out, straight out of high school. That's like, amazing uh, to me. Yeah. So what were you good at? What was the thing that you're like, I know this, so you should hire me. There was no one thing. Actually. Just I think just good <laughs> well, at video games. That's how adults really look at kids. Are you good at Are you good at games? That's yeah. I rented a I, for the first time. My library actually rents out video games, and of course, everybody working there. Nice. Not of course, but uh, I, the first time I rented a game there, I discovered that you can rent them for three weeks, and I was very surprised at that. And the old lady librarian handed over to me, and I said, three weeks? That's incredible! I was not expecting that." She said, "Yes, you'll be. You'll have so much time to get really good at this video game." And I hadn't thought of getting good <laughs> at a game in like so long that just seemed like kind of like you mentioned it seemed like a like a yesterday kind of mentality of of people's connection with games was were you good at them? Where now right, like you right. don't really have to be good at them to appreciate or talk about them, which I think is super interesting. Well back then you when you opened a magazine you wanted to see the hottest picks and tricks and mm-hmm. uh, cheat codes. Things like cheat codes, exactly. Like it wasn't wasn't like you were opening a magazine to see a dissertation on why Metal Gear Solid is uh, a bad stealth game or whatever. Like, 
Is <laughs> he it? didn't want to see that. No, I, I'm just making that up. I was going to say maybe there's maybe there's a there's a hot take or opinion that what's <laughs> what is something like that that you're like oh did I just say that people are not necessarily going to agree. Was there something maybe in the magazine that you wrote about that people did you get fan mail or hate mail or anything like that? Uh, no, not that I can remember. You're just um, so even keel, man. Like you're just like there's no. <laughs> pissing you off or anybody else off <laughs> back in the well back in the day uh you know when wind waker was first uh unveiled and it was you know that cel-shaded look very cartoony and people mm-hmm. called it zelda and uh zelda. At, that, mm-hmm. at that time we we did have an opinion piece in the magazine where some people were down on that cel-shaded look and i was like one of the only ones who is giving it the benefit of the doubt? Mm-hmm. Let's, of course, let's you see are. what happens when this thing comes out. And uh, I was also into anime, so that may have been uh, why I was giving it the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, yeah, those opinions came later. Uh, you know, in the mid '90s, you really kind of did, didn't give your opinion on a game unless you were reviewing it. Like, oh, okay. I did a, a preview of Bubsy 3D for the PS1, but you couldn't you couldn't be negative about games previews back then oh interesting was it sort of like an arrangement that you would have had with uh or was it an unspoken sort of agreement that that you don't no it was just the editorial position of the magazine where we weren't going to be negative about a game in a preview oh okay um yeah and i I think that worked for what it was uh Mm -hmm. in the time the time uh that we're talking about but i'm glad that that changed Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, and it did, which was good. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I unfortunately got quoted on the box of Bubsy 3D. So, and I have, a, I do have a copy of it. I need to frame it because it is one of my lifetime achievements. That is incredible. A friend of mine, Ryan Turfer from Game Moves Podcast, he is a huge Bubsy fan. He was totally thrilled that we were getting a Bubsy game this year. But maybe, maybe 2017 wasn't quite the right the right time to to drop this thing. No. So. <laughs> When when do you start to see like oh this magazine business maybe not going to be around forever like what what where were you at EGM and then like what were sort of the signs that that you saw they're like this isn't this isn't going to be around forever maybe well I mean that wasn't the conclusion that I came to when I oh, okay. jumped ship um you know I love magazines I still love magazines mm-hmm. um I have an irrational and... one for magazines. I mean, they're great, right? They it's are. a physical thing that you can flip through, and it's a nice time capsule of what people were playing and thinking mm-hmm. about. Back and they line the, up so time. nicely on the shelf. Like, when they everything it's matches, true. it touches a little of our, our, our OCD magic. Like, oh, that yep. just looks, everything lines up. But you can see when they start changing where they put the date, and that always messes you up a little bit. But just having yep. that, like, collection and that stack of 4,000 pounds of paper, and for some reason... <laughs> <laughs> that feels good. And every time you move, you put it in your Tupperware or whatever, or it crashes through your cardboard box. And you're like, I just need to have these stupid things. Even to this day, sure. I walk through 7-Eleven or whatever. And I just stare at the magazine rack. I don't yeah. need the magazine. Like I would have read all that stuff, but I don't know. It holds a very <laughs> special place in my heart. That's for sure. So you yeah, didn't come to the, to the conclusion that, that this wasn't, uh, that this wasn't forever, but you, but you left anyways. What was the journey? I did. Uh, you know, I had been news editor at EGM for like eight years at that time, mm-hmm. uh, back in 2004 when I left. And you're right that the internet was kind of coming up and seemed like a good transition time. And um, I decided to jump ship to an anime magazine 
Oh, <laughs> I followed another another editor, a guy who used to work at the PlayStation Magazine at Ziff Davis. Gary Steinman uh, left and went to work at New Type USA, which is an anime magazine that was based out of Texas. It was a U.S. version of a Japanese magazine. Actually, we we did translated stuff from there, uh, and I was big into anime, and I thought um, that uh, this would be a nice challenge. So that mm-hmm. was uh, where I jumped to. What were, the, what were the things that you were into? And also, how were you getting the ad? I always found that there's, there's some secret underground area <laughs> or some passage that people who had access to anime or... Because I didn't even have, like, cable. Like, I didn't even have, like, good TV. So anytime anybody had anything special, even when, when my neighbor showed me a tape of Ren and Stimpy, I thought he had, like, some magical connection to some TV land out there. But he just had... He just had cable. Food legs. Yeah, like, well, <laughs> and then he had, like, then he introduced me to Dragon Ball Z, of course, and, and, but I never, even to this day, I'm thinking, like, where the hell did he get those? Like, where did you mm. get your anime? Were you, were you importing? Was there, you had other magazines you were able to buy from? I guess I'm now picturing that those big long lists at the back of magazines you could order things in. Yeah, I was buying my anime at that time at Suncoast Video. I don't know if you remember that place. No. Uh, maybe they didn't have them in Canada. It was basically like a big VHS and DVD store. I love it. And, uh, you know, internet speeds, we were all on dial-up that exactly. time. So we weren't downloading any anime mm-hmm. uh, at that time. Um, we were buying tapes or buying DVDs that had like four episodes for, you know, 30 40 $50. Yeah. <laughs> like the <laughs> dedication was, is huge. Yeah, yeah, that was where I was getting my stuff, mm-hmm. and um, I had, I still have quite a collection um, of anime, and uh, yeah, that's where I was getting that. But luckily, the um, the company that published New Type USA was also an anime company, so mm. they got a lot of got a lot of screeners that way, and it works kind of like video games where the publishers would send out screeners and whatnot. So right, and yeah. how long how long were you there for? I was there until two thousand seven. Yeah, yeah. When the so, anime market kind of died in the U.S. because fan subs and internet uh, delivery was coming up mm-hmm. and basically taking all of this, uh, the idea that you had to buy DVDs with four episodes, it was sort of eating that lunch. Like nobody was doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. Crunchyroll was here and uh, people were getting their anime faster all over the internet. So Crunchyroll is a thing that I, I have it on my phone. I have it on like I have it everywhere. And I always go like one one day. I'm going to jump into that. Where do you think – so for somebody like – I feel like I'm probably like just probably pretty average in that sense of I know of Akira. I've seen it Mm -hmm. once. Um, I've seen Dragon Balls like the first couple of seasons. That's kind of it. Like I know of Frieza and Cell, but like mostly out of the games. Where – should somebody like me jump into anime? I'm always curious. I've had a couple of people I have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea. I can tell you – Back in you know 2005 2006, I could have given you uh, some good recommendations, but now I've been out of it. Uh, but does it for seem so timeless long. to you? Like maybe that's as again outside of looking in. It seems like anime. It doesn't even matter, and and part of that I'm I'm assuming is because by the time I ever got around to Dragon Ball, it was already 15, 20 years old. Like just from yeah, being yeah. brought over. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think somebody else gave you a recommendation of uh, Miyazaki movies, the Studio mm-hmm. Ghibli stuff. You should definitely start there. I think uh, you can watch that with your kid, and uh, you get them on My Neighbor Totoro, and you'll you'll be oh, fine. Oh, good one. Yeah, yeah, I have seen a couple clips of that. And it's actually just because I keep bringing on Johnsons and Johnstons. Exactly. That's uh, why. It's, it's been a streak. 
<laughs> I gotta we all find love it. anime. I know it's incredible whether you live in the states or Australia or yeah, or whatever yeah. it is. So but I think we, you know after I worked at the anime magazine, I had overdosed on anime so much that oh I just god, I thought you were going to tell me an awful story, Chris. Holy crap! No, I didn't want to look at it anymore. <laughs> like, it was actually similar to you know when I left EGM, mm-hmm. I was kind of burnt out on video games, and were I didn't you? play anything for like an eight month period after mm-hmm. I left EGM. So. What did you miss? Do you remember? Like, was is that like a, a memorable black hole that like you missed like a Fallout game or something like that? I don't think I missed anything big. The like thing that brought me game. back was Halo 2. Oh, okay. So that's the time period that we're looking at. Okay. Yeah. And what did you think about? Okay, so let's talk about Halo 2 for a second because I remember, I feel like I'm the only one who remembers this. People were pissed when Halo 2 came out and you played as uh, as the Elite and uh, the, what the heck was it? The Arbiter. Oh, yeah. For, like, a huge portion of this game. And now people look back at Halo 2 as, like, one of their favorites. When, how much time do we need for Halo 5 to be one of people's favorite games? Because you don't play as Chief. I think that'll be a lot longer. (laughs) Like, never. (laughs) (laughs) Or never. Exactly. Exactly. I I mean, I think it's similar to, you know, MGS 2, where they switch the characters off. Um, That's way worse in my mind. Yeah, I mean, I, I doubt anybody could pull something like that off today just because yeah. so many people are uh, connected and will would know immediately that uh, you don't play as such and such character. Yeah, I mean, they could, but, they uh, could throw zombies in instead. Yeah, I actually don't game. remember too many people getting upset. I was not upset about playing as the Arbiter. It was, Maybe. It was fine. I thought it was fine too, and but I wasn't nearly as like connected into the lore and everything. I didn't buy any of the books or anything like that. I I didn't didn't yeah. really like. I liked Halo. I just wasn't like skipping school for Halo or anything like that. The interesting thing about that though is, do you do you feel like now the hardcore fans get disillusioned with something and then s- their opinion starts tainting the opinions of other more casual fans? I am. This is a hot topic for me, Chris. I am mm-hmm. actually very sensitive to that because I get really worried when I listen to big podcasts with giant audiences. And sometimes somebody will say something and they won't think twice about it. They'll just, fuck, there's the opinion and it's out there. And then that starts to like gain a little momentum or like, I don't even want to say the word because I hate that every single podcast, I actually am less upset about actual microtransactions as I was about the fact that it dominated the conversation in 2017 to such oh, a, yeah. it was almost like, like we had so many other things to talk about this year. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately that it just seemed to like one person got really upset about it. And then somebody's kid spent $40,000 in destiny or something stupid like that. And now we're getting like, like nobody had that. It, the conversation, maybe it's because we don't have thousands of podcasts about mobile gaming. But mm-hmm. it didn't really, it didn't really happen there in the same way. And I don't want to, I don't want to derail there. But that was that was an yeah. unfortunate part of, I think, of of twenty seventeen. Yeah, or like uh, have a petition to have something changed, or uh, what was it? I heard about Ooh, there's a yes. petition for the Last Jedi to have it stricken from canon or whatever. Oh I'm man, like, would would that have happened with Halo Two back in the day? Or well, it happened with MGS Mass Effect. 2? Yeah, Mass Effect. Yeah. Mass Effect Three. Like they actually went in, and I mean. That was maybe a That's sign for, for Andromeda of, of bad things to come where, like, where is the confidence? Like, the, uh, there's one thing to be said, you should be listening to your fans and things like that, but the game was done, and then they, they sort of tried to retroactively kind of change it, and the that 
that pure that that intelligence level i think from bioware that confidence of the vision where this this universe is going and everything that they do it just seemed like they had everything straight and then this glimpse into oh they're willing to or maybe it's ea kind of forcing their hand a little bit oh they're willing to to change things is where is like how rock solid is the foundation of of mass effect it turns out not very good unfortunately um Mm. I want to also actually this this brings me to another thing I want to ask you about as somebody who podcasts but also publishes games like how do you find is there a conflict for you now to talk about the industry but also as uh working at Adult Swim is there conflict talking either poorly or at all about other games that may either compete or just live within the same spaces as the games that you're sort of responsible for making sure that they do well like kind of how does that have you ever mm. even thought of that? <laughs> I've never even thought of that. <laughs> Shit. <to be> honest. <laughs> I know. Even bringing it in your top 10, it's like, well, my honorable mentions have to be the Adult Swim because they're ineligible. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I think it's different. When you work on a game, you have a different uh, feeling towards it. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. you, you might think it's the greatest thing. But, you know, as a podcaster, I'm aware that the people listening to the show might not want to just hear that. Right. Mm-hmm. Or I look, I work on a lot of mobile games, but I don't think anybody who listens to player one wants to hear about mobile games. So we mm-hmm. don't talk about that stuff. Of course, I have plenty of opinions on uh, mobile games, but I just don't share those on the show. Right? We have I, time, I, Chris. I, I let's let's <laughs> let's have at it, because I I've sort of I gave it a shot. I really, really I actually played the uh, first season of Walking Dead on iPad. Okay. And it was funny because I love that game so much that I ended up buying a friend, uh, actually neighbor Matt walking dead on 360 and i had never noticed or maybe because i was playing on ipad just how choppy it was or maybe i it was because it was on ipad i sort of forgave it and then i remember when he fired it up on that i was a little embarrassed i was like i'm really sorry that i gave you this game because it was just like it was i don't know how it's unplayable when you don't really rely on on motion or anything like that or the actual controls don't really matter but somehow it was it was unbearable i guess but like right what What's happening in in mobile that maybe people are missing out on right now? That like, what would you say if you had a if you had a moment in Player One Podcast to talk a little bit about mobile games? Well, I mean, mobile games are a very different beast than console and PC games. I think the expectations people have are different. Um, you know, mm-hmm, if you're right. playing a game on a mobile phone, you want something quick and fun that you can play while you're waiting at the doctor's office or waiting for the bus or something. It's not like you need a 20-plus-hour experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're willing to download a free game and give it a shot and maybe toss a few dollars their way. Um, so I, I just think that it's a very different expectation uh, mm-hmm. from the player level. And I know there are a lot of people who hate free-to-play mobile games, but you're probably thinking about like one or two mobile games that you don't like. And if you actually like gave it a shot and, and looked around, you might find something that you would actually enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a game that just came out recently, arena of valor that's coming out for the Nintendo switch in 2018. Actually it's a, it's a MOBA, but it's a fun, like mobile experience of the whole MOBA genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a couple battle royale games like PUBG on mobile too that you wouldn't expect there to be that type of game on there, but, right. but there it is. Is that is that a China thing only, or is that making its way over here as well? What is how is that even going to work? 
it works, and yeah, it is Chinese developers who are doing that. But what they've in the uh, world? they have translated it into English, and a couple of those have launched here, and are doing pretty well. So, so uh, yeah, it's oh, not just yeah, match three right. stuff. It was, what, but was it was it legitimate or was it a knockoff? Because I think I saw something, yeah, like a, a graphic. It had like Santa Claus, but with a gun. And it was mm-hmm. like Battle Royale Unknown something. It was like kind of like a mishmash of the names, just like a classic Chinese knockoff. Oh, yeah. There are plenty of those. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but there's a legitimate, like Tencent, I think, is actually doing the, uh, is working on PUBG for real. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. They're bringing PUBG to mobile. But um, in like. They have not yet. How do you control it? I'm. For uh, people watching the video, analog they can stick. see me actually. Yeah. Like, virtual is that. Analog a, stick, yeah. Are we okay with that? That that actually stuck around? Uh, yeah. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, there are a couple games that do that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the games that work best on mobile are the ones that uh, are touch enabled and, uh, you know, are games like Gorgoa or, um, you know, are match three games that you can mm-hmm. easily play um, or tappers and idle games that mm-hmm. uh, are easily playable when you have a short period of time. I don't necessarily think you need a console experience for those for those games i think the most important thing is that we don't write off really any any i think maybe we can write off the ouya at this point but i think to to cast aside an entire segment of of games is probably not the best because yeah like then you definitely do miss out on but my my connection with with you and mobile games maybe comes from from flash like is there is there a strong connection with with flash based games and mobile like it's sort of like a a simple, like just a, a quick time time kill kind of thing. Is that where that that love kind of carries over for you? Yeah, I think it does. Um, and I think part of it too is you know being accepting of games of all types. Like Bejeweled is a game. Words with Friends is a game. Candy mm-hmm. Crush is a game. Like the people who get into that really get into that. And for them, it's an experience like Destiny Two is for some console mm-hmm. gamers. Like mm-hmm. they're really into it. Um, I feel like any amount of game that you can really sink your teeth into is fine. Like, and we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't degrade other people for, um, for liking those games. Well, certainly not the people. Like, I think maybe we can, <laughs> maybe it's a new year's resolution that we can just kind of like move on from, if somebody doesn't like something or if they do like something, just maybe just let them. Yeah, but exactly. we're we are learning too. Like we are all socially awkward nerds who like grew up not talking to anybody, and now we're having like these deep conversations of of art and what it means to enjoy the art or be connected to it. I think we're all trying to figure out like how to be better at that for sure. It's, yeah. Well, maybe we are. I think you're actually really great at. It. <laughs> you know, the, I mean, there are people who love soap operas, and then there are people who like, uh, you know, dramatic movies and wa- The Walking Dead, and it's kind mm. of that same receptor place in your brain, right? But it's just a different format. However, uh, I think like. if anybody's had an insight into the soap opera world, you'll know that that's a if if you like all my children, <laughs> you hate the people who watch Young and the Restless. They're, they're the I don't know the, anything young about and the that. Useless. All right, well, my actually, all my children isn't even on, and I only know that because that was my mom's show, and that was her. Like she had her hour at one o'clock. That was it, and then the rest she mm. was actually mothering, which I think is amazing. Now being a dad, like if I had one hour and that was it, she had her she had her cottage cheese and she threw some some peaches in it. That was that was mom's that was mom's time. All right. <laughs> I don't know why. How I, Chris, I don't know how I get to those places sometimes, man. I, I haven't even like I put my I, I have I got my coffee ready and I haven't poured it. I'm trying to be like not pouring coffee in, in the microphone. So we'll just this is all 
This is all. Look okay. at the bags under these eyes, Chris. Talk to me about Adult Swim. I want to talk. I, I want to talk about Adult Swim. Where does sure. Where does that come in? Like, and how do you make the transition from writing about games to to publishing games? Those are, in my mind, totally, totally different beasts. It's not as different as you would think. Okay, really. so now and I'm going to do it. I'm just going to go publish a game. <laughs> well, I'm not even really writing about games. So let's be honest. I'm not a game developer. Okay. I know nothing about code. Uh, but I have played a lot of video games Mm -hmm. and, um, for me working at Adult Swim, a lot of it is working with developers, right? Mm -hmm. And they're giving you early builds or you're looking at a game design document and giving them feedback on things. And that's where having been a video game reviewer for a long time, uh, helps because you're giving developers feedback that might make the end product better. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was really how I got hired at Adult Swim. I, uh, I well, I loved Adult Swim. Uh, I watched the block a lot. I love cartoons in general, not just anime. Mm-hmm. And uh, loved the content that they were putting out and thought their foray into web games was really cool. They were doing some different stuff. You know, I think at that time we all thought of Flash games as like punch the monkey and get $5 off, whatever. But they were, they were doing something <laughs> different, right? They were doing... Yep. Uh, uh, Viva Caligula and Five Minutes to Kill Yourself and mm-hmm. Candy Mountain Massacre. Like they were doing really fun, quirky uh, games on Flash. And uh, when I got hired, um, they were in the middle of that. And uh, yeah, I was hired to basically help developers make those Flash games for AdultSwim.com, and mm-hmm. it was great. And what was the point? I guess is a dot com there to like still drive traffic towards like the TV. Was there a path that they sort of had for people in mind or was this just another element of entertainment coming from adult swim? Not really. It was another form of entertainment coming from adult swim. Mm -hmm. They were pointing a lot of people to the website at that time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, instead of doing games based on shows, they decided to do games that were the same like tonal fit right. for Adult Swim, but not relating to the shows. Because I think if you do a show-based game, you only hit super fans of that show and nobody else. And the game has to be really good to satisfy fans of the show. So instead of mm-hmm. going that direction, we kind of cast a, a wider net, which I thought was a great uh, strategy mm-hmm. for that. Was that early on? Because I don't know necessarily, like for people who don't know, maybe... Like what's what's um what are some of the games that people may recognize but maybe don't associate necessarily with with Adult Swim because it's not a show? Uh, Robot Unicorn Attack. Okay, I don't know that one. You don't know that one. I wow. know, and it's in your Surprise. bio and everything. I know, and it's like you're 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 satisfying everybody's dreams of of fighting unicorns or something like that. No, uh, it was well, an tell endless me runner. It. it was an endless runner, uh, side on endless runner, uh, kind of like Cannibalt. Um, mm-hmm. where you're just jumping and running and it has an erasure song, uh, always that plays in the background. Yeah. And, uh, that got really huge. Uh, that got way bigger than adult swim, uh, which was great. And we brought that to mobile later and it's done well there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it was, uh, yeah, bringing in an audience that wasn't necessarily, uh, familiar with adult swims content and, mm-hmm. uh, appealing to the same sort of comedic sense. Right. And so now you guys are on switch. You, yeah. you, you know, you've been PC pretty much from the start flash or whatever kind of iteration on a, on a computer screen. Now, now coming to switch. Um, what's, what do we got in store for 2018? 
Well, I, can you tell? I'm not sure you, what we've me? announced. Dang it! Oh. Exactly. Well, we sure did announce out, everything, Chris. We put out Battleship Brigade. Yes, this uh, game is awesome, Chris. I'm so thankful that you sent me this game. I, <laughs> uh, oh, I just am in love with it. It's so like you think you know what you're doing. A, you think you know what this game is, and then it's something totally different. And then you think you know how to play it, and then there's a new trick or something else. It just continues to grow. Yep. I, like, again, just not, it wasn't on my radar until I started hearing, I, I, of course, you sent the code, but I also started hearing others in the community kind of, like, discover this game. And talk to me a little bit about yep. that side of of pushing games out and, and sort of being part of the conversation, but also hearing people kind of, like, pick it up and gaining a little momentum. Like, is that... For me, that would almost be all-consuming. I would be scouring <laughs> the internet trying to find out what or if people are talking about this game. Um, but what happens when when you hit send and then you can just kind of like sit back? Or like what is that? What is it like for you as an individual to push out a game that people never link the individuals with, the developers or the, the publishers or, or whoever, anybody, any individual who's related to the game? The majority right. of people don't connect a person with it. They just That's judge true. it based yeah. on that game. So, but there's obviously mm-hmm. a person on this side waiting for feedback yeah. or something. What's that like? Yeah, I mean, uh, Battleship Brigade, you know, there are a lot of people on the Adult Swim Games team that uh, are more responsible for Battleship than I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm just a cheerleader for that game in general. Um, you know, it was, it was great seeing that game come out because we had been talking with Trinket Studios for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like four or five GDCs ago. We had a meeting with uh, with them to see an early build. This was, I think, before they did a Kickstarter mm-hmm. for it. And uh, I just thought it was great. It was a great mashup of mechanics. And the art style was awesome. And the way that they, they wanted to tell the story sounded great. And uh, it's been awesome to see just the development of that game over time and when they mm-hmm. finally did sign with us which wasn't for another two or three years after that gdc where i first saw that game um it's just great and mm-hmm. i i feel uh super happy for the developers uh of the game trinket studios they're getting a lot of love on social media and just very well deserved because they've created a fantastic game mm-hmm. uh and jacob paul is the producer from adult swim who was working with them on it and uh he yeah definitely helped them uh, refine some things and one of our staff members megan Fosty, wrote a lot of the script for it as well so it's it's just been great to see a lot of commentary on it. I've I've watched all the YouTube videos that people have done on the game. Like mm-hmm. it's fantastic to just kind of watch everything play out because you've you've been familiar with the game for so long, right? Mm-hmm. And then you want to see as many people talk about it as possible and get that word out. Chris, we'll round things out with the, the question that I typically ask uh, near the end. Actually, it's kind of nice because we have a brand new year ahead of us. Yes. What? What in 2018 are you sort of like, have you got your eye on? Or maybe maybe even like, what do you expect to happen that, that's going to be sort of like a, a big deal for, for people? Hmm. In general? Because, it, yeah, just in video games, I guess. Because like 2017 just seems like a hard year to follow up. And I know it that does. we have a lot of, of games on the horizon. But to be honest, like video games could take a break for a year and I would be perfectly fine with it. I don't know that I would be perfectly fine with it. I always want something new to play. Yeah. Oh, I have, I went crazy, man. I got a whole bunch of gift cards for Christmas and I just, I went through every single digital store and, and 
Boxing Day sale here, which is the day after Christmas here. And mm-hmm. I just, I went nuts. I've got enough games to last me the next three years. Um, but oh, what, <laughs> what's coming, what's coming that, that's, um, peaking your interest for 2018? Uh, well, I can't wait to see what Nintendo does with the Switch. Yeah. Really? Like, we, we, at the beginning of 2017, uh, when they basically laid everything out for the year, we knew what to expect. I feel like now we don't really know what to expect from the Switch at mm-hmm. all. Um, is that good so, or bad in your mind? I, I think that's good. Or is it just okay? Yeah. Okay. That's a little mystery. good, actually. I mean, I like surprises. Don't you like surprises? I love, I love surprises. That's the thing. Like, I, but I'm on two minds of it too. Like, I like knowing that there's a Metroid coming, but yeah, it is kind of like you kind of just tore open the wrapping paper on your present just a little bit and you saw just what's inside, but you don't really know what it is. Or well, like we know nothing it. about it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but is that okay? I don't know. I don't know. I man. think that's okay. I think that's okay. But These I think it'll hints. be, it has to be nerve wracking for the people who are working on that game to see how it's going to be uh, perceived mm-hmm. once they actually do reveal it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're probably hoping that it won't be another Federation force uh, for sure. Well, the, the last Jedi might be one of those things where maybe just don't let people know. Or don't let people's yeah. imaginations run wild because the, the disappointment was born out of all these fan theories that came that people thought were canon. And then when the yeah. canon came out, they were disappointed because their stuff wasn't real. So, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think Nintendo has the most mystery surrounding their lineup, like mm-hmm. how they're going to attack things. Right. So that that part of it's exciting. Like, I love it when at E3 they were like, here's this uh, Metroid Samus Returns game and it's out in like two months. I love yeah. that. Yeah, that that's really that's a nice thing that's sort of taken hold a little bit. I in some cases working out well and I think people are are still trying to figure out what there's going to be that magic timeline that that they can kind of go, "Oh, is 6 weeks good or is 2 months or like is Fallout the way that you do things?" I think there are games that are launching with a bit of uh like they pick their date where they're going to say, "And it's available now." And like that's it's risky. Like yeah. Sega knows that better than 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 most obviously console a little bit different. But yeah, I'm liking this. It, it it feeds into the instant gratification of the internet now. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of neat. And I also think I'm going to point out how there's a lot of mystery between Nintendo and Xbox. What are these guys doing this year? But people have a lot more optimism on Nintendo side whereas you look at Xbox and go there's a similar amount of it, of mystery but it's surrounded by a lot of negativity of oh they're doomed. Yeah. Surely the Xbox is is on its way out and and this right. three-way console war can't exist forever. <laughs> this is a two-man game, so. Yeah, I don't know how you feel about that, but even back in the day, you know, I owned both a Sega Genesis and a Super Nintendo. Like, <gasps> I, I played <laughs> I played the games and not the platform that they were of course. on, yeah. right? And I think uh, it's important to remember that. We're all here about the games, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, no matter the platform. I mean, I just spent a fortune on Steam and like, I don't even know why I did that, but like, cause <laughs> I don't really find myself in this chair other than to do this, but yep. like, I've got, I've got an Xbox here. I've got all the consoles. It's just a matter of like, what's grabbing my attention to be honest. And it's not, yeah, yeah the, the console wars are, they're, they're sort of fun. If you can keep it light, lighthearted and know that you're going to be friends with the person at the end of the day, they're fun to have those kind of conversations. What store is better? Who has the better sales or PlayStation plus versus games with gold and things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you're right. Like is where, where is the game going to be played and where do you fit in with that? And it doesn't, it doesn't really matter in the end. Yeah. But what then would, what are we going to podcast wanna, about? What do you want to see out of 2018? 
What are you most excited? I am interested in seeing what. So similar to you with Nintendo, I am interested to see what Xbox has in store. Mm-hmm. I have a sense that it's not going to wow anybody, but I'm sort mm-hmm. of. I've got my hopes up. I threw out this. I was just talking to Bobby this morning about this idea that of, of um, reboots and do do reboots sort of like reengage or recapture audiences or bring in new people that that maybe they hadn't before. And I think Halo, in a sense, might need a reboot. But they're sort of like stuck in the middle of this. Uh, they're, they need that final chapter of the of yep. the, the the trilogy now, and you need to see what's happened with Cortana and blah blah blah. But I'm like, man, they could really throw a wrench into the industry and say, Halo is one of the biggest franchises in video game history. Um, now it's now it's a Destiny game. Now it's like this this giant open world that you can travel all these planets. Halo's got this huge lore, and you can you can be a master chief or you can be a spartan or something somebody in this world and now that's what that is and to have three four three up against bungie i think would also be super interesting and i don't know i think there's a lot there but i think they need to do something drastically different uh to recapture some of that magic whether it is with halo Mm -hmm. or something something new and i i'm hoping that i get something there something new from them and something to show that we have more to look forward to than the hardware which i absolutely love but that's kind of where I'm at with uh, with 2018 and, and Xbox. And then just to watch PlayStation actually release the games that they've been saying are coming yeah. out, which would be awesome. Here's the thing. Uh, going back to the Halo thing that you just mentioned, imagine being the person who makes that decision what direction they're going to go. Yeah. And then having to having to like watch the unveiling and then take in all those fan comments. Oh, <laughs> like, no kidding. Yeah, because you, you know. That? Oh, you know it's not going to be pleasant like it's just gonna be a blood well it's gonna be both there's gonna be people who are maybe stoked about it but probably more because your point you gotta you gotta make people happy too like they're (sighs) like a lot of these big franchises it's gotta be nerve-wracking for that team or it's gotta be nerve-wracking for those microsoft executives that are making the decision Mm -hmm. you know where to place the bets right because they've got the money they're gonna like place certain bets on things Mm -hmm. it's gotta be really difficult to decide what is what's going to be a good bet and what's going to be a bad bet. Like you don't and you have know. to look years in advance. Yeah. It's not even like this year. Would you make that bet? This, you can't, you can't make that bet this year and have the game released this year. Like if you're making this bet now, it's 2020 maybe for a game like Halo. I don't know, 2019, but like whatever, whatever they've decided it's happening now, which yeah. is crazy to me because so much has happened just in this last year. You can climb on anything in Zelda now. I know. Who knows, Chris? I don't know. So man. then what's going to happen with Sea of Thieves when that comes out? Like you mm. you have player expectations being set by games that you know are out and done with development before you're even out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's got to be nerve-wracking. I don't uh, I don't envy the position of those people. It's funny going looping all the way back before we close things out here. Uh it's the way that that mobile has sort of like encroached, everybody talks about the the microtransactions being a thing. But honestly, I think even just like free to play games existing in the console space, I think is super interesting because you have a game like like Destiny or you have a game like Warframe, and you go, well, like maybe I just play Warframe instead, and I'll spend a couple dollars there, or just like that's where I spend my time, regardless of of microtransactions. They're, like Sea of Thieves is this game where it's a it's a pay to pl- uh, play. It's a, it'll be a full price game, but there's a lot of games like it 
that yep. either cost less or don't cost anything at all. And this whole, it's, man, this industry is incredible. Like we have so mm. much to consider and talk about and we have so many things pulling our, our attention in different directions. So I guess it's actually, that's why I like the question of like, what are you looking forward to? Because it could be anything. It could be, yeah. like you said, what, just as general as what's Nintendo going to do. Mm-hmm. I am totally fascinated by what they've got up their sleeve. It could be nothing at all. But we've already all bought our switches, so or it could be. Really... Is Crackdown Three going to be any good? Oh, Chris, this. <laughs> I hope. Every... I hope. I'm not. That's the thing. Is where that's why I go. Microsoft needs that big thing because mm-hmm. Crackdown isn't it for me. State of Decay Two isn't really it for me. Sea of Thieves is a thing, mm-hmm. but it's sort of like like Detroit for PlayStation. Like that's not Uncharted. It's not like the big. It's not The Last of Us or anything like that. It's just an. It's a supporting title, but not. Sure. Uh, same thing with like Scalebound would have been the same. I wasn't too too disappointed that that wasn't the, like it's not a it's not a pillar. It's not the Forza. It's not whatever. So anyway, yeah. Chris, as if people didn't already know, why don't you tell everybody on the internet where to to find you and and connect with you on Twitter and all the things that you're up to over there? Sure. Well, my Twitter handle is Superpack. That's S U P E R P A C. Uh, yeah, I, I don't tweet about anything political. Somehow I gave that name <laughs> has gotten me a lot of political at replies, but, uh, What's yeah. What's political about it? I'm so off on that. Super, super PACs in the, the U.S. are like political action committee things. It's like a, yeah. Oh my God, like that's fundraising hilarious. Things, and yep. that's my handle everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was thinking Tupac. Well, that's the other thing I get, yeah. Mm-hmm. Get that too. Yeah, that's my handle everywhere. On, so what uh, is it? It's a, just it for- uh, this is my first handle on the internet. Actually, is <laughs> a uh, Super Pac Man. I love it. Super it's better Pac-Man than my handle on, on PlayStation. That's oh man. <laughs> yeah, what was that just handle dis- again? Nope, I won't talk about. It. I'm going to change it in 2018 <laughs> according to Sony. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Oh, there you in 2018, go. I'm looking forward to changing my PSN. yeah so i'm super pack on all the things uh switch xbox uh playstation and uh the player one podcast that i do with uh with three of my friends that's at player one podcast.com you can check that out we record every week and that those episodes come out on tuesdays i love it. so we're also on youtube p1 podcast i love it and you do live too yeah, we uh, we do it live over Google Hangouts, and uh, that's a lot of fun, for sure. Um, and then, yeah, Adult Swim Games. Check check all of those games out there. All awesome, including Battle Chef Brigade that just came out on Switch. And uh, we'll have more for you in 2018. Love it. Well, thank you again for your time this morning, Chris, and having a quick chat. This was I really appreciate it, man. This was awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sean. Holy crap. By the way, don't go anywhere. I'm going to give away a game. So don't, don't, I know some of you just shut it off here. I'm going to give away a game. Uh, so stick around for a second. Maybe I'll just do that from now on. Maybe I'll, don't go anywhere. I'm going to give away a game. Thank you, Chris Johnson. That was incredible. Thank you so much for taking some time. And I felt like even after we, we kept talking, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to take your, I'm not going to take your day here. And then I'd ramble on about something else. And then, and, then, and he was, he's just very gracious. So thank you, Chris. I really appreciate that. Um, remember, you can be on the show. Just tweet at me at Sean Capri, Sean like Connor Capri, like the pants. And that music was from ocremix.org. It's Super Metroid in your prime. 
figured that that was sort of a fitting introduction. You can find me on the Gaming Gurus. That's every Monday as well. We got to talk about that. What do you guys, is it okay? This drops on Monday, so does the Gaming Gurus. I'm on that. I don't know. I feel awkward about it, but that's with Bobby the Nintendo Guru and Toby Thornton. Uh, I'm on the Xbox Drive. I love doing that show. I drive to work and I record an Xbox show, and that is on the Dayspace Network. And what else? You can support this show if you like. That's actually, I don't really want to put it this way, but like Patreon, the it, it allows us to give away games, really. It's sort of what it allows us to do. You can go to patreon.com slash make us better. You can give away a game whether or not people want it or not. It's it's there. I have games to give away uh, so you guys can have Quantum Break on PC. <laughs> so there's Steam games, but Quantum Break is here for you if, you, if you'd like it. All you got to do is enter it in. The code for Quantum, the quote for Quantum Break is EJ2FB. P5EQKWWE3T. And that's all it is, folks. You can have Quantum Break. And honestly, if your PC can handle it, it's great. I love Quantum Break. Uh, I played it on Xbox. Obviously, it's really great. So please pick it up. Um,. What else is there? That's that's pretty much it. Thank you to our artists, Gary Gray and Adam Leonard. Our video designer, of course, Antonio Guillen. And uh, this show is powered by the Dayspace Network of Podcasts. Or forget being cool. I don't know what it is, to be honest with you guys. It's a, it's a thing. Dave, please tell me what I should say at this point. You can find the Gaming Gurus over there. You can find Nintendo Talk. You can find If We Ran Nintendo and Character Crunch. A whole bunch of Nintendo shows. Uh, otherwise, this is episode 122 of We The Gamer Cast. It's now in your ears and your eyeballs. Thank you again for listening. I'll be back next week and hope you're there too. Now it's time for the first Jason of 2018. It's 2018 Jason, New Year's Jason. Jason, 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 where are you? Jason, press S for Sean. Jason! 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 Sean! 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 Sean, where are you? Jason! 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 Sean! 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 Stop! Jason! 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 Jason!